Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Today's scripture will be 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-12, through 12, which is on page 578 of the Bibles and Seatbacks. If you do not have a Bible, please accept the Bible and Seatback as a free gift from Northridge. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffered as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Thus says God's word. pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the time that we have already had in worship, in the celebration of the triumph of your grace, the success of your work on the cross, the power of the advance of your gospel through your word and through the working of the Holy Spirit and through your church. Thank you for all these things. Lord, we thank you for this season where we are reminded of the keeping of your promise, Lord, to come and rescue humanity. And that you came and took on such a humble estate and as you took on humanity. And Lord, you, you came for us and you lived as us. And, and God, you, you lived in such a way that, that you could bear our sins and be the perfect mediator of which we spoke in the catechism this morning. So Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, please work in us this season not to lose the impact, not to lose the significance of this time, Lord, but to meditate deeply upon it and to think on the majesty of this moment. So Lord, we ask that you would help us, enable our minds, rescue us from the distraction of the hurry and the, all the tasks at hand that come with this season. Help us to, in our minds and in our souls, to slow down and think about the fact that you have come. You have been manifested and you have brought salvation with you. We thank you for all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Um, I uh, am very glad to be here with you today. I, if you'll, uh, please, I ask you this from time to time, but if you'll allow me to do something so selfish and personal, I have to welcome someone to Northridge Life Church. You may be aware of who I'm about to welcome. My grandson... Beowulf Simeon Sharp is here for the very first time. Oh, and his mom and dad are here too. But they, but uh, we're, we're, 
we're glad that, that uh, Bale is here. We're hoping he'll become a member. Um, you know, he's probably going to check out a few churches first, and then and then he'll decide what he's going to do. But uh, glad to have you here, son. So, <laughs> uh, well, it's Christmas time. If you hadn't noticed, and and uh, we've started inserting Christmas carols into our singing Sunday mornings, and I have to confess to you quite bluntly, I love Christmas. I am, I totally nerd out on Christmas. I love the decorations. I I, I love the parties. I love watching Elf and A Christmas Story year after year after year, even though I can quote them verbatim. I love watching George Bailey and the last scene as he reads that inscription left for him in Tom Sawyer. That the inept angel Clarence left for him. Remember, no man is a failure who has friends. I even kind of like selecting gifts for my friends and my family. And, if I'm honest, I admit that I enjoy receiving thoughtful tokens of their love for me. I love the special recipes that get dusted off at this time of the year. And I love those familiar aromas that accompany those recipes that fill our house. I love... The memories of childhood wonder brought to me by the ghosts of Christmas past that come flooding back in this season. Do we have anybody else here that's in favor of Christmas? I remember, speaking of memories brought to me by ghosts of Christmas past, I remember being five years old, walking hand in hand with my mom into the Wimwood Mall in Odessa. And we waited in a long, long, long line to sit in Santa's lap. And I remember that there was a teenager in an elf costume with a microphone that was connected to the mall's PA system. And she was asking children in line what they wanted for Christmas. And I will never forget the shock of hearing my own amplified voice booming through the mall telling thousands of harried shoppers that I wanted to find Batman and Robin action figures waiting for me under the tree that year. I remember as a... My pedigree, if you did not know that, is that I'm a certified church kid. And I remember all the church Christmas pageants where my buddies and I would don bathrobes and have towels tied around our heads so that we could give a little authentic first century Middle Eastern flair to our role as shepherds and our retelling of the nativity story on that cold December night in Bethlehem. And I remember with that and, and with the connections to our church growing up, I remember pondering the mystery of that story in my own childlike way. I remember wondering what must it have been like to be about to have a baby, to have to travel, about to have a baby, and you get there and there's no place for you to stay. So you're relegated to an old barn. I wonder, how did those wise men when they saw the star in the heavens discover that they should follow that star that they found? These are the questions that my, child, my, my childlike mind was asking. Now, I'm a church kid, but I'm also an American, and my childhood was filled with dancing snowmen and red-nosed reindeer. But even though that's true, I couldn't escape what people often call the real meaning of Christmas. Or, poetically, the reason for the season. I found it at church. 
They even found it watching Christmas specials. How many of you remember Linus answering an exasperated Charlie Brown and telling him, I'll tell you what the real meaning of Christmas is, Charlie Brown. And he proceeds to quote a portion from Luke chapter 2. I don't know how they got away with that on network television. I don't know if you could still do it today. But he quotes Luke chapter 2 and reminds Charlie Brown what it's really all about. I remember seeing decorations that pulled me back into the meeting. I remember seeing nativity scenes in people's yard with Santa off to the side reverently bowing before the Lord in the manger. And then, then there was the music of the season, some of which we sang this morning. The music of Christmas is unlike any other type of music. Now, there are sentimental and there's silly and there's fanciful songs to be sure. I'm not talking about Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. But at what other times of the year, think about this for a minute, at what other times of the year do people so willingly play and sing songs with such rich theology in the public arena? Can you think of another time when this happens? You can walk through Walmart and you hear lines like this. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. You know what you just heard? You heard in about two lines the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ came to rescue men from Satan's power. And because of that, the good news of His truth has flooded into the, the, the planet and now people can believe and be redeemed. When else will you hear secular radio stations play songs with words like, So bring Him incense, gold and myrrh, come peasant king to own Him. The King of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone Him. We should give thanks for this. That this message is being broadcast you know, all around us. And as Christians, we should pray that God would give us opportunities to connect the truth that's being sung to the realities of people's needs around us. So in preparing to treat, preach through Advent this year, one of the things that pastors have to consider when you preach through Advent or through the Easter season is is how do I do this and not just say the same things I've said over and over and over again? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with saying the same old story because the same old story is the gospel story. But I thought it might be encouraging this year to examine the theology of a few of these familiar songs and see what the scriptural basis is for their lyrics. And I hope that this will aid us as we're out there in the public and doing all the stuff that Christmas demands, and we hear these songs, to not just kind of let them be, uh, you know, let us be so accustomed to them, so familiarized to them, that we don't get what they're saying, but, but it'll help us to extract the eternal significance of this season, and even to meditate upon it more deeply. So, as we're talking about Christmas memories, one of my distinct Christmas memories dates back to when I was 17 years old, I was working in a radio station in Odessa in 1988. And I heard a particular Christmas hymn for the very first time in my life. It wasn't one of the ones that I was very familiar with, like, you know, 
uh, Silent Night or, or, uh, or something, Away in a Manger. It wasn't anything like that. Although it wasn't one of the songs I had become familiar to me in, the, in my early years, it has since become one of my all-time favorites during the season. And this particular version was beautifully arranged and hauntingly sung by an artist by the name of Margaret Becker. The name of the song was O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it's the perfect song for us to begin our Advent reflections this year. This song has its origin in monastic worship dating all the way back to the 8th or 9th century. That's a long time, 1,200 years. It was first penned in Latin, and over the course of the 19th and 20th century, the version we know was progressively formulated in English. The theme of the song imagines the people of Israel calling out in their toil and their sorrow, their sin, their oppression, their failure, their misery, for deliverance that God has promised to bring them in the coming of the Messiah. And the song is a stunning reminder of something that I hope you'll all remember, that Advent is a season of hopeful waiting. It's a season of longing. And we long, like the people of ancient Israel, for the full revelation of the Lord's salvation. And so the song begins like this, O come, O come Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. The cry of ancient Israel is captured in these simple words. You'll probably remember that because of their idolatry and their sinning against the covenant they had with God, they had been exiled to Assyria and to Babylon. And this was the cause in their nation of great mourning. Psalm 137 captures this beautifully. As the psalmist writes of these days in Babylon, it says, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept. And we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs. And our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And for the Jews, exile was not an analogy, it wasn't a metaphor. They were removed from the place they loved. They were removed from the place they longed to be. And their surroundings in that time, the, the, the streets and the walls and the buildings of Babylon, were only for them a reminder of their own sin. There could be no songs or laughter, only weeping and regret and sadness coupled with a longing for a hopeful future. But right in the middle of that dreadful situation, God did not forget His people. He sent them prophets like Daniel and Ezekiel that would keep the promise of restoration ever before them, causing them to anticipate their rescue. Now for believers, those of us in the New Covenant, our days in sin were kind of like that. When we had moments of clarity, moments of honesty, we could only mourn and weep over the miseries brought upon us, not by any other reason but for our own sin. It's hard to laugh or sing genuinely 
consistently in those days. But the wonderful thing is that even in the midst of our exile in sin, God preserved the word of promise in the gospel, which was preached to us, which we heard, which we believed. And we became, in Jeremiah's words, prisoners of hope, even in the midst of our exile. And we continue to experience the effects, every one of us, of being captive and living in a fallen world. We're not where we want to be. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. And we long for our deliverer's appearance with encouragement like we find in 1 Peter 2.11. Beloved, I urge you, how? As sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Our instruction from Peter is to remain faithful, awaiting the day of God's visitation. When he rescues us from Babylon and secures us in his eternal kingdom. The second stanza begins, O come thou rod, thou, excuse me, O come thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory o'er the grave. And this stanza reminds us that we have a real enemy who wields hell and death as a weapon against us. C.S. Lewis famously said, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. As Christians, in one of these two extremes, we, we often neglect to rightly calculate the devil's interference with us. Our hymn, though, that we're studying this morning correctly designates Satan as a tyrant, a cruel and oppressive leader, to ruler, rather. He delights in harassment. He loves to make sport of humanity, the image of God. Lewis suggests that as believers, it would be improper for us to ignore or deny his reality or as servants of the Most High to, to live in mortal fear before him and his wives. See, the devil is real, and as Luther said in his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, his craft and power are great and he's armed with cruel hate. But the Christian knows this important fact in a world where there's a real devil. The Christian knows that Christ has overcome Satan and all of his devices. Luke ten nineteen, Christ invites us into his into his. Uh, power over the devils. He says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Now listen, that power doesn't lie within you. That power comes to you through the covenant you have with Christ. The reference to the rod of Jesse in this stanza comes from a prophecy of the Messiah in Isaiah 11. A few verses down from where that title is given, we read that the Messiah will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. 
Jesus, I want you to know this, folks. There's sometimes this, this false doctrine, this, this literally this heresy that happens even among Christians where we believe that, that, that Satan and God are in this mortal struggle and there's this tug of war and we're just waiting to see how this all plays out. That is a lie. Jesus is not in competition with the devil. Jesus is not threatened by the devil. It is the devil and his horde that the Bible tells us in James believe and tremble. And this means that for the believer, hell, the, 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 the reality of hell, over which we all dangled as by a spider's web, in Jonathan Edwards' words, before we were born again, the hell has lost all of its power to frighten and to torment the believer because of the mercy we received in Jesus Christ. It means that the grave, the ultimate weapon of our enemy, holds no fear for us. It has no power to intimidate us with its mysteries. Why? Because Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, oh death, where is your victory? We have confidence through the gospel that... Even to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. The song says, O come thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. The great encouragement that comes from knowing what Jesus has done to defang death. And the destructions he's wrought on all of the devices of the devil is that you and I are empowered to live out the days of our sojourn here anchored with joy. Now let me explain joy. Joy should not be confused with the, some giddy emotion that we feel. The passing emotions of happiness and merriment are common to all humanity. But true, rooted joy is the sole possession of the redeemed. You will not find true joy in the world. Or any of the children of the world. They don't possess it. It's the result of knowing through redemption that we have a home in heaven. Of knowing that, that we have a secure inheritance in Christ. Of knowing that we have an unlimited supply of grace to meet every challenge of this fallen, transient world. If you'll allow me to quote Lewis one more time. He said, The very nature of joy makes nonsense of our common distinction between having and wanting. I love that. What does he mean? He means the joy that results from knowing what's in store for us, what is secure for us in Christ, makes the time of waiting not just manageable, but as good as the fulfillment. We live as believers who are not yet where we want to be as though we already are. We are already sons and daughters of heaven. In fact, Ephesians goes on to tell us that we are seated with Christ. Not will be seated, but that we are seated with Christ. Where? In heavenly places. Right now. As we make our own cry in this 
mortal life of, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we can do so with the assurance that we're living right now in a time where Christ reigns. We're not waiting for a time for Christ to reign. He already does. There, we are definitely awaiting for the final culmination of His reign. And we rest in the fact that Christ is sovereignly working everything towards that glorious day of full redemption. But make no mistake about it, Christ is King right now. Biblical joy is better because it's not dependent at all on circumstances. In fact, biblical joy supersedes all of our circumstances when you have it because its basis isn't something as fleeting as circumstances. What is the basis of biblical joy? The basis of biblical joy is truth. Eternal, unshakable, unchanging truth. Moments of euphoria in the rush of endorphins are no substitute and never will be for true gospel joy. Gospel joy will carefully, will, will safely rather carry you through your darkest times, your most challenging moments, straight into the arms of Jesus Christ. O come, thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. The key of David refers to a prophecy in the book of Isaiah that is repeated by none less than Jesus Christ Himself in the book of Revelation. Revelation 3.7 says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. The key of David represents Christ's ability to unlock the door of heaven to sinners like us. In our own strength, in our own individual identity, in our own wisdom, in our own righteousness, the door of heaven is locked and will forever be locked tightly shut. But there's one that holds the key of David that can open the, key of the, the door of heaven wide for sinners like you, sinners like me to walk right in. What a great... If you don't have any other reason to rejoice this Advent season, that's it right there. And we're not only just kind of have this gatekeeper in Jesus that kind of, like a bouncer at a club, just kind of unwillingly lets us in. No! He lets us in. He opens the door of heaven as the undisputed king of heaven. The one who sits on David's throne. He has all authority, all wisdom, all power over his people, over his enemies, and over every other corner of his creation. He opens the door to heaven and no one can shut it. He closes the door on the wicked and no one can pry it open. It is in this regard that as the song says, He makes safe the way that leads on high and closes the path of misery. The verse speaks of the full and final and secure salvation of Christ. Some of you uh, use the, only the past tense term that you are saved, that you have been saved. And that's true. And I would never conflict with that. But what you've got to understand, and I've preached on this before, but I want to remind you again that you are saved. But you are being saved. And you will be saved. And that's the fullness of the gospel. 
Not some momentary, I, I said a prayer 50 years ago at some little church somewhere. No! God is still saving you. And someday He will finally save you when your body rises from the grave, resurrected to glory forever and ever. In His high priestly prayer, Christ Jesus prays to the Father. John 17. While I was with them, speaking of the disciples, I kept them in your name which you gave me. I've guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Think about that verse. The one who held the key to David was the trusted guardian of the faith of his chosen children. If the earth could lose the sea, if the sky could lose the stars, then perhaps maybe they could be snatched from the son's hand. Similarly, similarly, though Judas sinned of his own free will, was culpable for that sin, his fate was sealed by the decree of Almighty God. The same key that locked the eleven in locked the son of destruction out. The eleven could not be lost and the one could not be saved without robbing Christ of his authority, of his kingly key. So ask yourself honestly, do I live out my days with that kind of assurance? With that kind of confidence. Do you wonder if you're on the precipice of a great eternal fall? Or do you rest daily in the fact that you are kept by God? Locked in. And as Jude said, kept for Jesus Christ. Are you anxious and doubting? Do you wonder if the love of God is enough to sustain you in spite of all your sin? If you're in Christ, you can absolutely take it to the bank. The path of misery you now travel is a passing reality. Soon it will be forever closed for you. And you'll be enveloped in an eternal flood of joy and peace, fellowship and true, pure worship. And that's the basis of all our hope and all our joy. Hope and joy can never originate in us, as I've said over and over Or any of our efforts. Hope and joy can only spring from our connection to the one who holds the key and has called us to himself. Invited us in. So, wrapping this analysis up. There are two things to remember as we meditate on the words of this old hymn. First, you and I are by far more blessed than those of Israel waiting and longing for their Redeemer to appear. This is what Paul writes to the Galatians. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Can you guys brace yourself for some good news? Hold tight to the sides of your chair. Brace yourself. You're in the fullness of time. You're in the fullness of time. It has come. We live, you and I live, in the blessed afterglow of the pinnacle of human history. The death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ Jesus. And we no longer cry out, O come, O come, Emmanuel, in the same sense that the Old Testament Jews did. 
Instead, our triumphant refrain is rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come. He appeared and He has made us the true Israel grafted in by the same faith as our father Abraham who believed and it was counted to Him for righteousness. This is what Paul meant when he spoke of, uh, in our text today of God's purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Somebody say amen. By the grace of God, you and I, by the grace, the sovereignty, the goodness of God, you and I live on the right side of the gospel. Amen? People always say, oh, I wish I could have seen that Red Sea split. I wish I could have seen you know, all these things. I'm like, no! I want to live on this side. Peter said that the prophets searched diligently to understand the times that you live in. Not to understand their own times. They wanted to understand the times that you live in. 21st century, they wanted to understand this. The times that the Spirit had revealed to them were coming. We're told in another place that angels long to look into these things. Christian, listen to me. You're better off in the gospel than Old Testament prophets or angels. You're better off. You've received in the words of Hebrews better things. That doesn't mean that there's nothing to long for in our lives as believers. That's been the season of longing. We said it, I meant it. On the contrary, in another sense, we all are still crying out, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. We long for the return of Christ. The full redemption of the entire creation. The unfettered reign of justice and righteousness that will accompany Christ's earthly reign. As the days grow dark, and the shadow of wickedness and secularism and paganism and humanism seems to expand. It can feel like we are destined to fail and destined to be consumed. But don't you believe that for a single moment. Christ has been given all authority in heaven and on earth now, not just in the future. The day approaches when He will vindicate His people and consummate His blessed kingdom. And those weary exiles who cried out for the Messiah's appearing, so as those exiles, we confidently cry, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We know that our crying and our longing is not in vain. It's not an exercise in futility. Because even Paul said in our text this morning, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Thank you, Jesus. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we... God, thank You that You're a promise-keeping God. 
We thank You that when generations ago people cried out for Your appearing, they poured over the writings of the prophets and longed for You to show up, Lord. You kept Your Word. And You appeared and You brought salvation. Your appearing in the fullness of time has enabled us to be adopted as children of the Most High God. Before that, God, there is not enough words of gratitude in the English language for us to give You thanks. We love You, Lord. We thank You for what You've done. We pray that we would pass the days of our exile here in joy, in hope, in longing and anticipation. And Lord, by the Holy Spirit, stir our hearts to pray honestly, sincerely, earnestly, and continually. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Well, for those who have been delivered, it's time for a victory feast. Y'all in? Y'all ready? Christ has so graciously given us the elements of bread and wine so that we can remember His victory and the sacrifice that was required for it. We can renew our covenant with Him and in thankfulness and gratitude for what He has done to make us the sons and daughters of the living God. And we can enjoy communion with Him through an action of His Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask our communion workers to come and uh, prepare to serve us. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's nothing we would want more than for you to share and enjoy in this meal with us, to renew your covenant with the living God. If you are not a believer, then we would ask you to very uh, uh, intentionally stay in your seat. Um, this would mean nothing to you. It's, uh, we always use the analogy, it'd be like you wearing my wedding ring. You could still put it on your finger, but it wouldn't mean anything. And so we, we just invite you, though, if you, that describes you, we invite you to put your trust in Jesus today. So the greatest thing you could do this Christmas is to trust Christ for your salvation. If you need help to understand how that works, then you can speak with Pastor David, you can speak with Gabriel, you can speak with me, and we would love to help you with that. Um, but for the rest of you, we're going to invite you to come and receive these elements, and then you can go back to your seats and we'll take them together uh, once you have them. Paul writes for us in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake of the cup together. Now, can you give thanks 
to the God who has appeared and brought salvation with him. Father, we thank you for your good gift of salvation. We thank you for your blood that washes away all of our sins. We thank you for your broken body that restores us to wholeness. We thank you, Lord, that, God, you did not hold our sins against us, but you forgave us in a flood of your own grace and at the cost of your own life. Lord, we pray that we would walk in this covenant and and live as those who live to please the Lord and honor you. And God, we pray that we would live in hopeful anticipation and longing for your soon return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would place your hands in a receiving position, I want to speak this benediction over you. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye shall see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account for Him. Even so, Amen. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Ghost, Amen. You're dismissed.